calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, I'm Dennis McLevy with CFA Institute, and uh, we're continuing with our series of uh, Take 15, looking at credit and market risk. I'm here in New York with Shashir Yudani, Senior Risk Analyst uh, with Risk Metrics Group. And Shashir, quite interested today in this issue of um, sort of the secondary banking system created by hedge funds. And in some sense, I mean, I could make the argument that hedge funds were after the equity tranche in CDOs and investment banks supplied those tranches. And uh, basically, this allowed lots of homeowners to obtain homes that these homeowners would not otherwise have obtained. And so um, it's not all a bad situation. I'm wondering, can you describe to me why the uh, hedge funds wanted these equity tranches in the first place? Sure. I think it's an interesting question, and that is, I think if you know, if I had to identify kind of the two key reasons that I would state as far as why hedge funds looked at the equity tranches within these CDOs, these collateralized debt obligation structures, um, one is the fact that you know, for in terms of if we look at the actual structure of a CDO, what we see is that the equity tranche is typically you know taking a position there is is a levered position, and so something that hedge funds will typically look at for their investments is the ability to take a levered position to, you know, to essentially lever up on returns given that a bet that they're making is in the right direction. And so that, the very nature of the equity tranche of being a levered position, I think, you know, was very appealing to the hedge funds from that perspective. The second um, would be the very fact that, you know, again, if you look at the various financial instruments that hedge funds, you know, have typically invested in, you know, what they... And especially after, if you, if you go, what's transpired over the past several years, and that once you know much of the low-hanging fruit was kind of already, you know, found and taken out there, then this this kind of continuous search for alpha, as they refer to it, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of you know, excess returns, what they're looking to do is identify instruments where they can um, potentially exploit a mispricing of some sort, where there is you know a theoretical price based on pricing models that they've put in place on their end. Mm -hmm. of through various amounts of research that they've done, um, and what the market may dictate, and in the case of these these structures you know, and the equity tranches in particular within the CDOs, is that because there's not you know a particular exchange or or an, a, like a regular liquid market out there, you know the pricing of these is a little bit unclear from that perspective, and, and therefore if there's pricing models that you know that they can that they can employ from their perspective that allows them to potentially exploit a mispricing or i.e. an arbitrage opportunity as they view it to be. But I mean, I hear the argument that, okay, so the hedge fund basically was the mortgage banker mm -hmm. and many people have homes that otherwise wouldn't have homes. And yes, there are uh, you know, some defaults, but basically it's not as terrible a situation as some people are making it out. Yeah. So what what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, actually, I mean, a couple of thoughts. You know, one in terms of you know the hedge funds becoming the mortgage bankers. I think there's 
a lot to be said in terms of you know clear recognition that the advent of the hedge fund market and the amount of the amount of capital that has gone into that space has really in, in a sense created a secondary banking system or an overlay banking system that we see now and, and in conversations with you know various senior people partners principals at hedge funds that I've spoken to um, there's definitely an agreement that you know there is a secondary banking system through the you know through the issuance of various types of loans that um, you know taking the you know the long or short positions creating liquidity and in this case effectively buying the you know, the mortgage backed securities or the or these or these collateralized debt obligations that that use the MBS or the various mortgages um, as their collateral so that's the first piece of it and so you know, to your point, you know, in a sense, they have become the mortgage lenders in, in one sense. To the second point of the question, um, you know, things may be not as bad as as, the, as as people maybe are describing it to be. And although I think that thus far, you know, we haven't seen a lot. I mean, aside from a few blowups that we've seen in the case of Bear Stearns and maybe a couple of other names that are out there, we probably haven't seen you know, all of the repercussions. Or, or the cascading effects that we might expect to see going forward. And you speak to a lot of uh, chief risk officers. I'm wondering, what are your thoughts there in terms of the cascading effect, the 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 risks coming from this secondary banking system? Yeah, I think. Um, well, a couple of things. I mean, one, if we just talk about again within the, you know within the CDO and the subprime space, you know, many times the hedge funds are using. Their actual CDO, the, the investments that they've made as collateral for taking out other types of loans. So if they're going into various repos or other types of short-term financing, they might use this as collateral. Well, the problem in, in, in there lies that as the valuations of these decrease and as the perception out there comes to reality that these that there is lost value in these investments, um, margin requirements begin to become an issue. And so whether margin calls are having to basically uh, hedge funds are forced to liquidate some positions to post capital for margin requirements. Now, the challenge there is that you know because in order to, to liquidate something, they need to have a, a buyer on the other end. And if there's no prices or no bids being put out there for these investments, then you know the cascading effect or the you know the the, the, the follow through contagion effect becomes they have to liquidate other securities or other instruments that they have on the book. So now what that does is that so there may be other loans, other bonds, other instruments that they have in their portfolio, which now creates a further imbalance in the supply and demand of those instruments as well. So what may have not been an expected result or may have not been an expected effect in other markets, you know, saying, well, these markets are safe because they don't necessarily trade, you know, in parity or they don't trade in direct correlation with, you know, the, with the equity tranches within the subprime space because of this kind of secondary effect that they may have to go ahead and, and sell other securities, they're not creating imbalances in other areas of the market. Okay, so things could get out of balance. I, you know, I, I'm concerned about just getting some basics about about CDOs. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, can you describe the different tranches in a CDO? Sure. I mean, you know, in, in, from a simple perspective, you know, CDOs are typically broken into you know, three sections or three tranches: um, investment grade tranches, the mezzanine tranches, and the equity tranches. And effectively, the way a CDO works is, is almost like a reverse waterfall in terms of how the payments are received. So, an investor that that purchases uh, an investment in the investment grade tranche, in the mezzanine tranche, and the equity tranche, the way it works is as the actual underlying loans 
the pools of loans, so in this case the mortgages, are being paid, you know, the, the, the actual payments go in terms of from a, from a ranking order to paying off the investment grade or the highest, you know, the highest tranche level first, followed by the mezzanine, and find the leftover piece being in the equity tranche. So somebody who's, who's basically taking an investment in an equity tranche is effectively making a bet uh, in the sense that you know, getting kind of the the residual return after the entire structure is is paid off at the end of at the end of the terms of the loans, and you know with the expectation that at least a certain number of defaults will not occur because as defaults occur, you know that where that where that you know up to again up to a certain percentage based on the actual waterfall and the structure of of the CDO itself will be in terms of eating away at the equity tranche level first when certain defaults occur. Okay. And so this was the idea of the enormous leverage that you have with the equity tranche. Correct. Okay. Exactly. Because, you know, the very fact that, you know, there is, you know, as everybody knows, in order to take those types of risks, there has to be an amp, you know, a much higher return or expected return for that. And then the risk taker who's purchasing that equity tranche. I think one of the things that, you know, was probably, you know, if we, if we look at the last four or five years up until, uh, you know, up until the last six to eight months, you know, we were we were in kind of a regime where we had this kind of low volatility and, and low credit spread regime, and so as a result, even even knowing that the equity tranche was you know the riskiest piece of these structures, I think given the you know given the environment that we were, we were in, and the fact that you know the default rate was extremely low, and as a result, it, it it almost gave investors a false sense of security in terms of what these tranches and what these investments could provide. Can you say a little bit about the two kinds of CDOs? I understand there's a balance sheet CDO versus an arbitrage CDO in terms of the motivations for setting them up in the first place. I mean, I think when you talk about, you know, uh, in, in maybe in terms of referring to like the cash flow versus the synthetic in terms of, is that what you're Well, actually, that's a different question, but perhaps you could, you could uh, give me some ideas about that. Sure. Well, you know, in terms of, the you know the two kind of main structures that people look at are, are one is a cash flow CDO and, and which is what I think what more in line with what we've been talking about here today which mm -hmm. where the underlying collateralized I mean the securities that are used as collateral there are uh, effectively you know bonds or loans or mortgages that are wrapped into an asset-backed security of some sort which are then effectively wrapped into the CDO structure. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side of it, the synthetic CDO is typically uh, looked at as a, a basket of credit derivatives. So, you know, the credit default swaps that are out there, effectively what an investor would do is, is look at, you know, purchasing an entire basket. And they could, that could be done either via um, one of the, the standard indices that are out there, like the CDX, uh, ITRAX type of indices, or some sort of a bespoke tranche, which is basically, you know, a, a non-standardized um, basket of CDSs that are out there. So a uh, synthetic CDO, can you describe that in more detail, what that looks like? Um, well, what it looks like is, is it's a basket of, of it's, it's essentially, you know, a basket of, say, some, you know, in, in the case of, for example, if it's the, one of the indices, it might be 125 names or 100 names that are, that are constructed from a standardized index that's constructed, and that would be, you know, uh, like a, a credit default swap on all 125 of those of those names, and so okay. um, what you know what they may be used for is one example could be what we've seen in, you know in discussions I've had is, is you know from a you know just a very high level perspective is doing if you see investors effectively doing a 
a, a correlation trade where they may trade um, a basket of CDSs versus a single name if they, if they believe that the relationship of a single CDS within the basket will be different than the, than the actual single CDS performs in the marketplace. Okay. And, and so what are the advantages and disadvantages of synthetic versus cash CDOs? The one challenge with a cash flow CDO is modeling the actual structure itself because, uh, because of its nature, as I described earlier, having the whole waterfall effect and having all of the underlying covenants and, and, and uh, things that are kind of embedded in the structure, there's some challenges in terms of can you get um, access to a full deal library and all that information that, that's going to be encompassed in that actual structure. So that's the first kit because, you know, again, from a risk management perspective, you know, one of the first drivers is trying to identify the risk factors or, or kind of driving it. What, what are the factors that are driving the actual valuation, the risk of the security? And if you can't model that in some way to look at its risk with relation to other factors out there, then that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, versus on, on the synthetic side, I think the reason there's been an, uh, uh, an adoption of, of, of those structures is because you're, you're effectively, as I described, taking a basket of credit default swaps which there is a traded market for, which there is an observable rate in the market for, and therefore I can, I can see um, the actual spread at what a CDS or what, what a name is trading at by going out there and looking at you know, the actual marketplace and finding you know, an actual quoted spread or an observable spread in the market versus having to use some theoretical, necessarily some theoretical or you know, okay. pricing model from that Okay, so there's more, uh, somewhat more price transparency there. I would, I would describe it as that. So in the CDO world, what are you seeing in terms of the marking to market problem? Well, I think that's one of the problems that you know a lot of people have, have probably begin, begun to be more vocal about now is because of the very reason that we talked about in the beginning, which is because there's no real traded market out there. And, and you know, once, once a, a group of securities or a group of loans becomes securitized, then after that, you know, there is no real active market out there for the price to be determined and so it basically becomes you know one you know a theoretical model or pricing model that these investors come up with on their end and two um, you know what the market if there's a if there's a market that's out there that people are buying is what the market may dictate but the problem becomes as we've seen when the liquidity is dried up and there's no market out there uh, I think one of the criticisms out there is that you know th you may see investors potentially or holders of these structures potentially mark these securities as they feel fit on their books. So you know they might be able to just somehow justify the pricing of this um, via a, a model that they're using internally, mm -hmm. but that may or may not reflect what they can actually get in the open market. So if they were forced, you know, as an investor, you know, if I wanted to to basically receive my funds back and and you know, these and the actual holders, the hedge funds and various other institutions were forced to liquidate, the prices that they're marking these, these structures at may not accurately reflect what they could actually get if they were to go out and liquidate these instruments, you know. And I think that, you know, that, that also kind of, you know, presents, you know, a challenge from that perspective. So when you talk with chief risk officers at this stage of the game, what sorts of things are they? Are, is it mostly the cascading problem that they're worried about? I think I, I think Dennis really you know the, the name, number one concern you know having spoken to you know many people that are dealing with that now is is that is that problem? I mean, the reality is they understand that you know within the actual subprime they realize that that was you know there was definitely um, 
a truth to the fact that there was an overextending of these loans and, and loans that were made you know, far too readily available to people that probably did not necessarily qualify or probably weren't you know, necessarily the right people to have these loans available to. And um, because we went through a period where there weren't you know, such a low period of defaults and, and things like that, you know, a lot of institutions began to kind of chase this returns. If they, you know, they saw other, you know, they saw some of the early adopters get some pretty, you know, some fairly sizable returns from these investments, and so later on, you had you know other institutions around the world begin to to invest in some of these structures. And I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I think that you know the the contagion effect or cascading effect that you know that people are concerned about now is that you know you have you know if they're forced to liquidate other types of securities on their book. Or um, the general kind of you know um, public concern that's been associated with this. So now all of a sudden it becomes you know, there's not any explicit risks that are or explicit kind of downside from an actual pricing perspective, but just the very investor perception and the public perception out there mm -hmm. as such. Nobody wants to touch these investments, and so you know as you know if we're looking at you know typically when you have an investment there's a bid and an ask, and if there's no bid out there you continue to drop that price until you finally do get a bid. And I think that's kind of the problem that, you know, many of them see as far as, you know, how that will first have a direct effect. And second of all, you know, how this will spread out. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think the one underlying risk that they see across the board that this translates to is one is liquidity risk and two is credit risk. And, then, and when I mean credit risk, I mean spreads widening out, which means that money becomes more expensive out there for companies. So that ultimately slows down the LBO market, that slows down any kind of, you know, the, the various kind of, you know, the explosion in mergers that we've seen over the past couple of years, you know, all this, all this type of activity, which helps, you know, fuel the economies and which helps fuel investment opportunities, and as a result, creating shareholder value may be slowed down because of the fact that if these, you know, if it's more expensive, you know, this type of debt is more expensive sure. and things like that. Sure, it has ramifications through the private equity world, through mergers and acquisitions, through the entire economy. It really yeah, does. Right. Shashir, thank you very much for interesting discussion on uh, the subprime crisis, and uh, thank you for joining us today for another in our series on page 15. Copyright 2008, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Recorded November 22nd, 2007.